0: Please turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And our text tonight will be chapter 5 verse 8 through chapter 6 verse 9. And there is a reason why we are taking that big of a chunk Uh, tonight of God's Word, and I'll explain that further as we go along. A couple of years back, when our oldest daughter, Haley, was graduating from high school, uh, we had went to her uh, baccalaureate, and that was held at one of the area churches there in Weber City, and they had a service there, of course, uh, and had a visiting preacher come in. Uh, This particular man I was very familiar with. And to be quite honest with you, was praying the whole time that I was watching him go to the pulpit. Please, Lord, do not let him say something dumb. Please let him just say something very encouraging. But as he was ascending into the pulpit, perhaps he thought something different. Because what he ended up telling the class was uh, he, he began to give them some kind of a an encouragement on success, success after high school and and seeking after success, and he began to give examples of success, and one particular example that he gave was that of Sylvester Stallone, how he started out with nothing, he wrote a great uh, manuscript for a movie, and finally, after just trying and striving and not taking no for an answer, finally, He was able to make it. And that was his great encouragement to the graduating class. And he gave another example of someone who basically went from rags to riches. And this was the message that he gave to the graduating class. This is the emphasis that he had placed upon them, or that he had given to them. And... At the time, uh, it, it really upset me, sitting there having to listen to it, and especially not only myself, but this entire graduating class listening to this. But it did spark a number of thoughts. Perhaps he's not too far from what we have heard others say. Now, he just blatantly said it. But perhaps it comes in a different way. But it still is emphasizing the same thing as this man. Have you heard family friends say things like, I want to be able to have a better life than what my parents did. Or for those that have said to their children, I want you to have a better life than me. I want you to, to be able to have a good job and make some money. Because maybe they have seen us or they, or we're looking at our parents and seeing that perhaps there's a struggle there financially. And so, as the children are getting older, we are telling them we want you to have a life better than ours. ours. And the way that we are telling them that this occurs is by making more money. So, as aggravated as I was listening to this, this man speaking to this class it did begin to make me think of times that maybe I have been guilty of saying this too in a different way or others that I have heard say it say stuff like that and I never thought anything else about it I never gave it a thought I thought well that's that's an honorable thing to want your kids to do better in life than you that's a good thing but in a sense it is not what then are we telling them is the most important thing? We're telling them, we want you to make money. Because therein lies your happiness and your joy in life. And everything else will be easy if you can do this. And what do we do? We teach them that, that money, that wealth is going to bring them Something that we think that we were missing, or that our parents we thought were we thought what of our parents that something that they were missing, we start them off on the wrong foot, and it's 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 not really it shouldn't be a surprise then if we start them out in this kind of a way that they end up detouring off into that life's pursuit of things that is antithetical to the life that we should desire for them to have in Christ. There's a new God that we have told them to pursue by saying things like that to our children. That pursuit leads to death. Not happiness, not joy, not peace. These are, these are the things that we should want for our children. We want you to have joy and peace and abundant life And then to tell them the only way that this can happen is by not pursuing money, wealth, that God, but pursuing the true and living God who is Christ Jesus. This is where the emphasis should be. But maybe there have been times that that we have said things like that because we've struggled financially and we wonder why it is that we do struggle financially and surely things will be so much different. And in doing so, we are seeking after something that we're never going to lay hold of and we're missing out on the present time that we could be experiencing such joy in the Lord. So tonight, Solomon is really addressing these things for us. He is giving us that, the, the, peering back the, the curtain, just to allow us to see what wealth does bring. What, I should say, what the love of wealth brings. Wealth in and of itself is not is not evil. And I, and I don't want anyone to think of that. And in fact, when you look in the scripture and you see people that have an abundance and they have wealth, uh, that this is a gift of God. And there are many whom we uh look to and and we we enjoy their their preaching and we enjoy their books and all of this that have wealth and that wealth has not caused them to stray from their love and their commitment in Christ and it's good so i don't want anyone to think that wealth in 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 and of itself is bad it's it, it is not it is it is that that love and that longing for wealth as paul says to timothy right It is the love of money, which is a root of all sorts of evil, all kinds of evil. And that's really what Solomon is giving to us. That kind of a life leaves us more empty, leaves us in misery, and only brings about people in our life who will indeed try to suck the life out of us because we have wealth. There are dangers to... To say there are things to, to caution our hearts uh, for, with longing with that kind of a life and being consumed with the pursuit of wealth. Though so tonight we are looking at Ecclesiastes chapter five, beginning of verse eight through chapter six, and uh, ending in verse nine. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Let us give our attention to God's holy, inspired word. Beginning in verse 8. If you see oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness in the province, do not be shocked at the sight. For one official watches over another official, and there are higher officials over them. After all, a king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun. Riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. When those riches were lost through a bad investment, and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. So what is the advantage to him who tolls for the wind? Throughout his life, he also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor, in which he tolls under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, He has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God, for he will not even consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is prevalent among men, a man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God has not empowered him to eat from them. For a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and a severe affliction. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, however many they be, but his soul is not satisfied with good things, and he does not even have a proper burial, then I say, better the miscarriage than he. For it comes in futility and goes to obscurity, and its name is covered in obscurity. It never sees the sun, it never knows anything. It is better off than he. Even if the other man lives a thousand years twice and does not enjoy good things, do not do not all go to one place? All a man's labor is for his mouth and yet his appetite, and yet the appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage does the wise man have over the fool? What advantage does the poor man have knowing how to walk before the living? What the eyes see is better than what the soul desires. This too is futility and a striving after wind. Let's pray together. Holy Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder that we receive through your word of the deceitfulness of the things of the world, the love and the desire of the things of the world. Father, It is easy to fall into this trap, to think that everything would be better in our lives if we only had such and such, whatever it may be. Help us tonight by the Spirit of God moving in our hearts and applying the passage to our hearts to see that our satisfaction, our peace, and our joy is in knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Guide our thoughts tonight and bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, we pray, and all of God's children said, "Amen." Please be seated. <clears throat> now, there is a reason why uh, we are taking uh, so many verses, is because <clears throat> these particular set of verses uh, form what's called a parallelism. Now, there, this is part. Uh, this is characteristic of Hebrew poetry, and. What what a parallelism is is it, it, you have two or more lines of a poem that correspond to each other very closely. Sometimes they can say the same thing in a different way. Sometimes they can contrast each other. Uh, for example, in verse ten, you see what's called the synonymous parallelism, where you have one line you have one line that makes the statement, and the second line basically says the same thing. So he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, the first statement, then the second, nor he who loves abundance with its income. It's basically saying the same thing, just in a different way. Then you have antithetical parallelisms, which will be contrasting uh, two, two statements, such as verse 12, for example, the sleep of a working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but... The full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. So there's a contrast there. Now, this entire set of verses here uh, form what's referred to as a chiastic parallelism. Now, this is where you have a sequence of ideas that are presented uh, beginning in our text from verse 8. You have a series of ideas that are presented, and then they are repeated again in the reverse order in which they were given. So think of it as a triangle. A triangle. Okay, And I'm going to give you the set of verses so that you can see the correspondence here. So you have your triangle, your pyramid, whatever you want to call it, and you start at the bottom with these two particular texts of Scripture. Chapter 5, verses 8 through 12. Chapter 6, verses 7 and 9 say the same thing. Then come up a little bit. Then you have chapter 5, verses 13 to 17. And chapter 6, verses 1 to 6 that say the same thing, and they're all working to one main idea, the climax of the chiastic structure, which is chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. This is where this chiastic structure is centering on in these set of verses which we will get to. So that's why, because of the structure, this is why we're taking such a um, a big portion of God's Word tonight, because these verses are saying the same thing. In, in, a, in an ascending order, and then descending, saying the same thing in reverse order. And you can study more on that because it can get a little, hmm, as you begin to look at it. Uh, but it is, it is pretty amazing how um, God's Word is written uh, with these parallelisms, not only in Ecclesiastes and Proverbs and in the Psalms, they're there, they have purpose, and it just shows uh, how beautiful Hebrew poetry can truly be. So the first thing that we are looking at within what Solomon is bringing out to us again in his pursuit of meaning is that wealth, the pursuit of wealth, the love of wealth, the hunger for it, the longing, uh, it never satisfies. Wealth in that kind of a way never satisfies. He says in verse 8, If you see oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness in the province, do not be shocked at the sight. Why would you not be shocked? What's the thing that he's getting at here? He is saying that if you see the denial of justice and righteousness to the oppressed, you have these oppressed people. Who's oppressing them? Well, then he goes into the officials. You have the one set of officials, then you have officials over them, and then you have the higher officials, and then what does he go into? He's going into the love of money. This should not come as a surprise, uh, not even in our own day. This is exactly what Solomon is seeing in his own day, right? Right? He's looking out at Israel 3,000 years ago, and he's seeing the poor being oppressed. And the reason why the poor are being oppressed is because of the officials that are over them who have the love of money. And then the officials above them, they have the love of money and so forth. So it shouldn't come as a surprise. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income, is what he says. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their own, to their owners except to look on? So what is he getting at? The first thing that he wants people to understand, his readers to understand, is the very thing that we need to understand also. Because we are bombarded with so many different ideas today of, of, of you'll, you'll love this, and then you buy this, and this is going to be great if you just had this. If you had that George Foreman grill, I did like that. That was a good one. It was very handy to have in the kitchen. But if you only had that, cooking is going to be easier. Anything's, there's so many different things out there that just are going to make life easier for you if you, if you have it. Or it's going to be wonderful if you, can, if you can have this particular product. And people live for this. There is a, there's a guy, I won't mention his name, you'll know exactly, probably who I'm referring to, but there is a guy who has a place down in Greenville, and he has all his Ferraris in two different buildings. And All the Ferraris that he has, it's, this building is loaded with them, red and yellow, and he always gets the last ones that come off the line of that particular year and he just has a huge collection of Ferraris. We were actually working on the roof, and so the guy who takes care of the cars, he says, you want to see them? I'm like, yeah. (laughs) I hadn't really seen one. Sure. And you're just looking over how many that are in there. I didn't know there was that many in there. And you're like, what's the point of having it? What are you going to do with all these? But he has to have them. From the the older models, red and yellow, and every year after that, the last one on the line. He loves having these. But here's, here's the deception of it. This is, this is what Solomon is pointing to. He's saying that this love of money and this love of wealth and this love of having material things, all of that... Is not satisfying because you're always going to want more. And when you're looking over at the other set of verses there in chapter 6, he likens the, the longing for wealth like longing for food. He says, All a man's labor is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not satisfied. It's like you have this magnificent meal. You know, you go to a fancy restaurant or something like that, and, and you think of the presentation that is given in the, in the meal and, and just how amazing that it tastes, "Wow, this is wonderful." And then, three hours later, you're, "I'm hungry again, And I'm definitely not going to go pay that again. But it's satisfied for the moment. But a couple hours later, what happens? You're hungry again, and that's what he's saying. This is this is that 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 kind of a longing for wealth when you have it and you and you're accumulating it, you still want more. You're never satisfied. It was uh, you'll probably recognize this quote, of course, uh, from John D. Rockefeller when he was asked how much money is enough money, and his answer was. Just a little bit more. But that's life's pursuit for some. And it's never satisfying. No matter how much that you accumulate and how much that you get, it's not satisfying. Ernest Hemingway, before he had committed suicide, one of the things that he had written was, Life is a dirty trick. You have so much available to you, and that's your outlook on life. Why? Because everything that you have and you think that you have this and you and you buy this and you get the big house and you have people under you that are that are serving you daily and or you make a name for yourself, it's not satisfying there's It doesn't bring any happiness. It doesn't bring any joy. Look, here's what ends up happening in verse 11. When one is longing after the wealth and accumulating the wealth, he says, when good things increase, meaning the wealth, those who consume consume them increase. Now looking at a couple of different uh, commentaries on this, they're talking about those that are now surrounding you because you have it. Because you have all this wealth, because it, it, you just keep accumulating, you have people that will come in your life who will leech off of you. Who want to just be around you just for the things that they can, that they can receive of you. Not for any other reason as what he's pointing out here. There are some that, uh, I want to be careful how I say this, but there are some within our extended family that if it ever occurred that I won the lottery, for example, I would never tell them. (laughs) Ever. They would never know. Why? They'd be at the door it's a it's a good thing if you have wealth and God has blessed you that you can bless others but it's another thing to allow people to take advantage of you just just because they don't want to work or they don't want to do anything that kind of a life again even having people to come into your life there's there's just there's no joy there as he is going to talk about later on in some of these particular uh, verses that we'll get into here in a little bit, like verse 17, for example. He says, Throughout his life he also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. Out of everything that he has... And all the people that are taking some of the money, even the people that he is hiring for himself, what's happening to his wealth is he accumulates more, he gets more things, he has to have more people in his life in order to take care of him, and the money's going out, and he has to accumulate more. Then he accumulates more laborers, and the money goes out. And then what happens? He eats eats by himself. He eats in the darkness with great vexation. And so according to verse 11, the question is asked there, when good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on, to see it all go out? What advantage is there? And it's a rhetorical question. The advantage is there is no advantage. These people are, are, are sucking them dry. Their wealth is being taken by those who want to take advantage of them. And so it leads to emptiness. It leads to an unsatisfied life. That's one of the first things that he says about that kind of a love for wealth. And he says something very interesting from verses 13 on. Actually, specifically of verse 13 and the rest of it as well, but... Listen to what he says. There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. That this kind of a longing for wealth and love of wealth harms those who desire it and depend upon it. That is something very interesting, isn't it? How can it be that you can have so much that it ends up harming you. Because it's their lifeline. It's the center of their life. Whereas, if their wealth is lost, for them, all is lost. Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, The Empty Promises of Money, Sex, and Power, and the only hope that matters. He speaks of the uh, 2008 global economic crisis and some of the effects of it. And it was, uh, it was just um, very disheartening to see or to, or to read some of these things. And I have a little portion of it here of uh, an excerpt from his book about how so many lost hope whenever that occurred because all their hope and everything was in their wealth and their money. Here's what Tim Keller writes. He says, the acting chief financial officer of Freddie Mac, the Federal Home Loan Mortgage Corporation, hanged himself in his basement. The chief executive of Sheldon Good, a leading US real estate auction auction firm, shot himself in the head behind the wheel of his red Jaguar. A French money manager who invested the wealth of many of Europe's role and leading families who had lost $1.4 billion of his clients' money in Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme, slid his wrists and died in his Madison Avenue office. A Danish senior executive with HSBC Bank hanged himself in the wardrobe of his 500-pound-a-night suite in Knightsbridge, London. There were many high-profile suicides of when this happened back in 2008. So many from different parts of the world ended their own lives when they lost their money. That's, that's part of the deception of what, what Solomon is bringing out here. You put all your life in this You think that everything that you are is in this. This is your lifeline. This is where your your focus is and your heart is and your soul. Everything is in your wealth. And so you hoard it up. And then, in a moment when it's gone, all is lost. When those riches were lost, as he says in verse 14, when those riches were lost through a bad investment and he had father to son, there was nothing to support him as he had come naked from his mother's womb so he will return as he came. It's, it can be gone in a moment. You make a bad investment as the example that Solomon is using. It can be gone in a moment. And then what then do you do? You look over your family, this one, has father, to son, what are you going to do? What can you do? But he makes some interesting points here, some things that need to be really taken into account. As, As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. So this is a grievous, this is also is a grievous evil, exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. So what advantage to him? So what is the advantage to him who tolls for the wind? Throughout his life, he also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. He works all of his life to accumulate this. This is this is his 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 passion in life. In a moment it can be gone. And he's devastated. His life is over. But in the same same understanding of that, when he dies, he spent his whole life in this pursuit and he can take none of it with him. So what's the advantage? You work your whole life to attain this much wealth because you think it's going to bring your joy and peace and everything else in your life. And then when the Lord calls you, you can take none of it with you. You leave empty handed. You know, Derek Thomas had um, made a statement when he was still in Belfast that there were funerals that he used to go to in which people would put money in, in the coffins along with the, the dead relative. And you think, this is serving no purpose. Now, somebody had to be smart enough to go get that stuff out of there before they buried him. Surely somebody's going, yeah, he ain't going to use it. But you think of that? People wanting to be buried with their money? You can take none of it with you. In the Christian faith, which is obviously we recognize the only true faith, <clears throat> there's no boatman. That you have to give money to to take you over to the other side. There's nothing like that. Naked, you came into this world, and when you leave, taking nothing with you. Nothing at all. But this has been the pursuit of life, and this is a miserable existence. I mean you think of this. This is really a miserable existence for those who are so consumed with this kind of a life and then they die. What do they have to show for it? Wealth that's going to be handed off to somebody else. And in a few years, they're going to be forgotten. Look at what he says in chapter six, beginning of verse one there is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is prevalent among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and severe affliction. Now listen to this kind of a life. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, however many they be, but his soul is not satisfied with good things, And he does not even have a proper burial. Then I say, better the miscarriage than he. And he goes on to describe that. Better the miscarriage than he. For it comes in futility and goes into obscurity. And its name is covered in obscurity. It never sees the sun. It never knows anything. It is better off than he. Even if the other man lives a thousand years twice and does not enjoy good things. Do not all go to one place? That's the kind of existence that Solomon is saying, this is what you need to be warned about. And if having wealth and and all of this is so wonderful and brings exactly what you think it is, then why is it that the celebrities that we see are some of the most miserable people that you've ever seen? They have it all. Why aren't they the most joyful in life? But no, what does it bring? It brings on a longing of of more wealth, and then when they lose it, what do they turn to? They turn to drugs, numerous marriages. There's just nothing satisfying. A life of luxury really is a, a deceitful myth, because where's the joy? Solomon is saying it's better for the one that's miscarried than for this man to live this kind of a life. The existence of the one miscarried is better than his. That is a great contrast here. That is not something to just gloss over. The infant who dies in the womb, who didn't even uh, have, have a, a time to be born to take its first breath of, of air, is in a better existence than this man who lives twice a thousand years, is what Solomon says. these These are very powerful words in order to bring out, do not fall into this deception. Do not fall into this trap, thinking that this life of luxury of which I hear about, this is what I need because my life will be so much better. Don't fall into that. It is indeed a deceitful myth. One that many fall into. But what is all this building toward? You have these parallel statements that are all building to something. They're centered on something. If you see this kind of a life, a life that has no satisfaction to it, a life that ends up bringing harm to you, What is Solomon then going to put in its place? And instead, he's going to indeed give us a life that is worth living. He's going to focus the attention of the readers back on what is the most important thing, what does bring the joy and the peace that you long for. It's not in money, it's not in in this false God. What does he say? It's in the true and living God, it's not in money. It's not, in, it's not in wealth. This God is, is a false God, a deceitful God. And as, actually, as Luther says, uh, what sort of God is it that is not even capable of defending himself against moths and rust? And yet that's the God that many look to. Solomon saying, let's focus your attention back upon the God who does bring the abundant life. And in verses 18 to 20, that's where, he's, that's where he's taking us to. In these few verses right here, he mentions the Lord four times. This is where it's building to. This is where he wants his readers to center on. It's the life that is delighting in the Lord and delighting in his gifts. Whether you have much or whether you have little, you can live a life that is, that is joyful you can enjoy the moment, you can enjoy the life that God has given you and find enjoyment in the work of your hands. Again, whether you have much or whether you don't. Here's what I have seen to be good and fitting. To eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself and all one's labor in which he tolls under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. In him. In the Lord, you can have the joy that you desire, even in in the labor of your hands. We like to think things like, if I had enough money, I wouldn't work at all. Because then I would be happy not having to work. And what Solomon is saying is, no, you can have joy in your life, in your labor, in the toil of your hands. You can have that joy. It doesn't come from doing nothing. It comes from appreciating the life that God has given you and receiving the lot that God has given to you. Enjoying the simple pleasures of life to eat and to drink and to enjoy oneself and one's labor. This is His reward. This is what God produces in us when you are most satisfied in Him. That's the key. You can take satisfaction in your life, in the simple things, in your job, when you're most satisfied in Him. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, He has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive reward, and to receive His reward, and rejoice in His labor. This is the gift of God. What's he saying? For those that God has blessed... That he has blessed with with wealth and with an abundance. When they are most satisfied in him, they can enjoy the things that God has given. For every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and and rejoice in his labor. This is in stark contrast to what he just said earlier about about those who are longing for wealth in chapter 6, verse 2. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God has not empowered him to eat from them. But for those that are most satisfied in the Lord when you do have an abundance, it is a gift of God, you should see it as a gift of God and still be most satisfied in Him that you can enjoy the gift that God has given You're seeing in both sets of life, whether you have much or whether you have little, as Paul says, I learned to be content. Whether I have much or I have little. How? Because he's most satisfied in the Lord. He's strengthened by the Lord. This is is where he's finding his joy. For he will not even consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. Now that's something to look at there. When you have the man who who is trying to accumulate all kinds of riches, what is his desire? I need to live long enough to enjoy them. And so there's that that thinking in his mind, I need to live longer, I need to enjoy, etc., and what Solomon is saying here, for those that are most satisfied in the Lord, they're not even contemplating how long they're going to live because they're, they're enjoying the time that God has given. God has occupied them with the gladness of their hearts. It's not a matter of, I need to live longer and so I can enjoy this or whatever so I can accumulate things and then enjoy them. It's like I'm, I'm enjoying what God has given to me now. And I'm not concerned with how long I live or how long I don't live. I'm enjoying the simple things that God has gifted. And for you, they may be a number of things. Maybe you just enjoy the work of your hands. You're taking pleasure in the, the work of your hands. You're taking pleasure in your families. You're taking pleasure in the friends that God has placed in your life. You're taking pleasure of of your church family or the ministry that God has you doing or whatever. And you recognize that the source of your joy is in Him. And so that when you labor in any of these other areas or that you're enjoying any of these other areas, it is truly gladness to your heart because you recognize these are gifts of God. And this is my reward in my time here. And they can be enjoyed. But they are only enjoyed when you're most satisfied in Christ. And so that's really where Solomon is taking us. What is it that you're most satisfied in now? What is it that you're finding, you're trying to find, your fulfillment in now? That's the question that we all need to be asking ourselves. And even for the unbelieving, they desire what joy in their life and peace They want the benefits of God without Him. But we recognize that you can only have the benefits if you have Him. And these are extras that God gives. Because He alone is satisfying to the soul. And the other things that He gives in life is an abundance of His grace. So what do you take the greatest pleasure in right now? What are you longing for? What, are you, what is your pursuit? Is your pursuit in Him? What are you teaching others to pursue? What are you telling them is the most important thing in life? I've told my children a number of times, and I'm going to keep telling them, and they'll probably get tired of me saying it, but I tell them that success is not determined by how much money that you get. That's not what is a good definition of success. If you're successful in life, as far as looking at jobs and careers and all of that, I tell them often that if you find something that you enjoy doing, you can glorify the Lord in it and make a living, you're successful. It doesn't matter how much of this you have. It matters whom you have. And that's where we need to be pointing the younger people. It's not about trying to have a better life than the parents or others that were in your family. It's about, it's about pursuing the Lord at a younger age than perhaps what we did. That's, that, that's what we should be. You know, If there's a contrast to be made, let that be the contrast. I pray that you start to serve the Lord a lot quicker in life than what I did. That you can see the joy and the peace and and the gladness of heart that He brings without having to go through the other mistakes that I made. That's where where we need to be pushing them and and others. It's not just for the kids, it's for the adults too who are longing for this kind of a life. Don't pursue the things that, that are treasures on earth, as Jesus says. Pursue the eternal things. Pursue the eternal one. You know, with people who live that kind of a life longing for something that they'll never lay hold of. It's a miserable existence and they only have more misery to look forward to thereafter. It is much better for the miscarried than for them. So, as we're, as we're seeing what Solomon is saying, let it, let it indeed just, just not just go through our minds and we begin to think of these and think, oh, well that's, that's something interesting that Solomon is saying. But let it come down to the heart to recognize, oh, Lord, that I've been pursuing the wrong things, perhaps. Help me to pursue you. Seek first the kingdom, which is not just trying to seek the kingdom as something separate from the Lord, but to seek him. That's the idea. Seeking him. Oh Lord, let me pursue you. Let me seek to lay hold of that which laid hold of me, which was you. And let me have the privilege of living that abundant life that you talk about in your word. And having the life of joy that you talk about in your word. And a life of peace that Christ says that he has left to us. Let me me experience those things as, as I pursue you. Let me... Let me live that that I can point others to you and to the things that only you can bring in life, which is the satisfying of our souls. Let that be our pursuit for ourselves and for the younger generations and for others that we see that are longing for the wrong things in life. Only Christ can satisfy the longing of the soul. Only Christ can give the peace that we all long for. Only Christ can give the joy. Let us recognize that. Let us believe it and seek after it all the more. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank you for this portion of your word. And thank you for the, the message that, that Solomon brings when it comes to refocusing ourselves upon our first priority in life, which is you recognizing that you bring all the things that we long for, it's all found in you, indeed, that's why the psalmist says, "O Lord, whom have I in heaven but you and on earth, I desire nothing else. That's why the the hymn writer as he as he pens these amazing words in the hymn that we love, he says. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou, mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and Thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure Thou art. Oh Lord, let that be a reality in our life. Work within our hearts to bring about that kind of a desire for You and that kind of joy in You. We all need help We depend so much on the Spirit of God to make this a reality in our life. And we ask you, Lord, please keep doing the work within us and keep pointing us to you. Not at the world which deceives us, but at Christ who fulfills. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for bringing us to yourself through him, his life and his death. And making us the objects of your love. We be the praise, the glory, the honor in all things. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's children said, Amen. Thank you for your attention and you are dismissed.